You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about our church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. We should all desire to have a healthy local church. Most of us are here at Redemption Hill because we already believe that God intends to use the local church to fulfill the Great Commission throughout the entire world and here in Des Moines, and to sanctify those who are his, and to grow his kingdom on this earth, which makes it very important to us that we have a vibrant, healthy, effective local church. And that's why God has given us this passage today. That's why he has given us Philippians chapter 2. The one point that I hope that you're going to see is that if we have a Christ-like humility, our church will be healthy and we'll see God glorified in our city. Before we look at God, what God's Word says, you should know that I uh, will be reading from the Christian Standard Bible today instead of the English Standard Version that we usually use. I asked Sean for permission to do that. Um, if you don't have a copy of the CSB on you, I suggest just following along on the screen or just listening along. Um, I, I love the emphasis on prayer this morning. We pray because we are completely dependent on God. Completely dependent on God. So I want to pray before we read the text, and uh, ask for God's help this morning. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we need you. We need your word, God. None of us can speak, and our words have any power, but your words are powerful in themselves. So God, we want to hear from you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, God, fill us this morning. Sanctify us. Make us more into the likeness of Christ. Build your church this morning, God. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us, that we would be encouraged. God, that you would use this morning for your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, starting in Philippians 2, verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. 
And for this reason, God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to briefly mention what I think will help us understand the greater context of this passage. Uh, Philippians is a book written to the church at Philippi by Paul the Apostle, and Acts tells us that Paul actually planted this church himself. And this letter, unlike every other Pauline epistle, doesn't have a rebuke toward the church. It was first and foremost a thank you letter and an encouragement to the church at Philippi. Does that mean they didn't have sin? No, it just means that the purpose and the concerns of this letter are different. Paul didn't write this to address a specific sin or doctrinal issue. The Philippian church, like all people, are still struggling with sin. We, like them, are a people who are predisposed toward pride and selfishness. We do not naturally tend toward humility. And fighting for humility is exactly that. It's a fight. It's difficult. But catch what Paul is doing here. He isn't writing some systematic theology or academic dissertation on why it's important to be humble. He's doing something that should really grab our attention and the care of our hearts. He's making a personal plea. I mean, recall the first verses. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete. That's a plea. For Paul's own joy. This is not just a rule reminder from Paul. He's really saying that if the church does what he's about to say, his joy would be more full. And I'll add, so will theirs. And he adds on a few if-then statements. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and there is infinite encouragement in Christ. Have you ever been encouraged, been edified by our Lord? And, and we can testify, Christians, that our Lord gives us new encouragement, new help, new mercies every single day. Really, every time we take a breath, if we need a hint that what Paul's about to ask is important. But he doesn't stop there. He says, if there is any consolation of love. Have you ever been consoled by Christ's love? The love of Christ is the only thing that gives us our hope, the only thing that gives our lives any meaning and joy and reason for perseverance. And if you've experienced that, and I know that if you are in Christ, you have. That's what he says. Again, he says, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, and we know that the Spirit lives in us and sanctifies us and helps us and comforts us and gifts us, those who are in Christ have the Spirit of God living in them. We are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit for our entire Christian life. So yes, we have fellowship with the Spirit. He says if there is any affection and mercy in Christ. Any affection and mercy? We are hopelessly sinful we lived lives of rebellion against God, and every day we fall short of living in a manner worthy of the gospel. And yet, 
God loves us, accepts us, made a way for us, gave his life for us, gets us through every single day. He adopted us into his family. He considers us sons and daughters. For those in Christ, there is infinite affection and mercy. So these if-then statements by Paul really should hit us all. It's like he said, if you've ever taken a breath or thought a thought, what I'm about to say is very important for you. So what, he, what does he want us, the local church, to do? Think the same way. Have the same love. Be united in spirit. Be intent on one purpose. That sounds like some intense unity. I mean, we're different people, right? Is he asking us to never disagree? I, I don't think so. Disagreement should not affect our love or our spirit or our purpose because our love, spirit, and purpose is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is enough. Church, we can agree that Christ came to save sinners, died in our place, raised to life, and is sovereignly ruling all of creation from the right hand of God the Father. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're going to have disagreements. Maybe you think I'm wrong about how I understand the law or my view on baptism, or prophecy, or Taylor Swift being the greatest music artist of all time. That's okay, because our one goal is to glorify God. Hear this, when we begin to prioritize other things or forget our purpose is when we begin to fail to meet Paul's expectations here. When we begin to prioritize other things or forget our purpose is when we begin to fail to meet Paul's expectations here. When we begin to not like one another because of personal preference, our unity is threatened. When we treat secondary or tertiary doctrine like primary or essential doctrine, our unity is threatened. And I'll add the vice versa is also true. When we treat primary or essential doctrine like it's something less, and when we lose sight of our need for the gospel, our unity is in grave danger. Our church should be concerned about one thing, the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is where our health will come from. That's where our unity will come from. And this means that we have to be concerned about laying aside our own preferences, what we think is important, and our own desires, taking up our cross and following Christ above our own selfishness. That is called humility. So it's no surprise then what Paul says next. But though it's no surprise, it really should convict us. It really should realign our priorities. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. What a beautiful picture. Doesn't that feel difficult to do? That's because it is difficult to do. Every fiber of our fallen being wants you to be you-centered. You'd be surprised how many of our emotions and thoughts and passive decisions 
are made solely based on what we want. But the good news is that our fallen being is being redeemed and made into the likeness of Christ Jesus who has conquered every sin. Though the reality is that on this earth it's difficult to care about others more than we care about ourselves, and though it's difficult to consider others more important than ourselves, it's not impossible. You want to hear more good news this morning? Though it's difficult, we are not alone. Our gracious God has promised to be with us always, to never leave us. And the book of Jude ends with this. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. The good news is that our God is able to help us to put the desires and needs of others above our own. We can win these battles against our flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what does it look like to consider others more important than ourselves? To do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit? Perhaps it means that instead of dreading when others accomplish much, we're glad and we rejoice with them. Perhaps it means that instead of being so focused on our own world, we're, uh, we mourn with our brothers and sisters who are mourning. We take every step to comfort them, to be there for them. Maybe it means that when we're tired, but our church family needs help, we help. Or that we use our resources, our time, our money, our energy for the benefit of others. I think it means that we make an intentional effort to step out of our comfort zones and, and encourage each other every week. Or that we have enough love for one another to gently call out sins and encourage each other to holiness. Think like Hebrews uh, 3.13. Encourage each other each day while it is still called today so that none of your hearts are hardened by sin's deception. I think it also means that we care about the lost and we make time to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our broken city who needs a savior. Or that we are passionate about the kingdom of God being made evident over the entire face of the earth. And I think it means a lot more. We later in this book get a picture of one way that the Philippian church has already joyfully walk, uh, walked in humility. Remember when I said that uh, it was a thank you letter to the church? Paul was thanking them for their support. They supported him financially. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church served with me in the matter, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I've received everything in full, and I, and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. They thought that the mission of God, the mission of Paul that was given by God, was more worth their money than their own desires. And they sent. But I think this church didn't just exemplify humility in their giving, but even more so in their attitude toward Paul. Their attitude was concern for him. It was a love for Paul. 
That's very evident in the last chapter of the book. And that's just one example of how an imperfect church like ourselves can obey and love what Paul has written there. But the Philippian church undoubtedly messes up sometimes. Do you want to see a, a perfect example of humility? Don't, don't look to men for perfect examples. Don't, don't look to the Philippian church for a perfect example. Don't look to celebrity pastors for perfect examples. Don't look to your parents. Don't look to your spouses. Don't look to your friends. Look to God. Do you want to know what humility looks like? you got to look at Christ himself. Listen to verses 5 through 11. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself, assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled himself by assuming the form of a servant. Do you realize that that, that passage, that beautiful song, is about humility? It's not divorced from the context before and after it. It adds to what Paul is saying here. Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, he says. What was the attitude of Christ Jesus? He humbled himself. How far? To the point that he, the sovereign God of the universe, became a man, took on flesh. The sovereign God came to do the will of his Father, to be obedient. How far? All the way to the point of death. On a cross, Jesus Christ set the ultimate example of humility for us to follow in the gospel. Can I just reiterate this story for you so we can see how crystal clear the humility of Christ is in the story of redemption? God created the world, including humanity, and, and we very quickly disobey the one rule that, God, that is given to us by God, which, as God had warned us would happen if we did this, plunges the whole world into a curse called sin. God immediately comes to man and makes an animal sacrifice for him, clothing the man in the animal's skin. And God continues to stay close to his people and save them and guide them. He pointed to a promised one, himself, who would take away our sins. And one day, about 2,000 years ago, God became Man, this is a true story. He became a child. You know the lyrics to the uh, Sovereign Grace song? Who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands? The giver of life was born in the night, revealing God's glorious plan to save the world. He, he lived perfectly on this earth, facing temptation just as we do, yet without sin. The God-man was tortured and killed. He died as a perfect sacrifice for his people so that anyone who repents and believes can be saved. Not by what we do, but by what he 
has accomplished already. Our God then rose from the dead, proving that he had conquered death. He conquered Satan and sin and this world and our flesh and our pride and evil forever, for our sake. And after 40 days, he ascended to his rightful place at the right hand of the throne of God, where he sovereignly rules with all authority over heaven and earth. And at the proper time, he'll bring this to an end. He'll do away with all the suffering and evil, and we will live with him, with no tears, no death, nor pain, nor sin, forever. All because, all of this, because he humbled himself by becoming a man and giving up his life on the cross. That's the perfect example of humility. We have to look to Christ to show us what loving humility looks like. And he will help us through the power of his Holy Spirit to finish this race strong. This really echoes what we heard last week in Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. When we follow in Christ's example of humility, we will find sweeter and deeper fellowship with one another. We're going to be selfless in our pursuit of holiness. We're going to work together for the sake of the gospel. When we pursue godly humility, we will be a healthy local church. Let's, let's pray together for God's help to pursue humility and to, sur- to cement this word that he has in Philippians 2 into our hearts.